0: Welcome to a nutrition and clinical practice podcast. I am Dr. Burke Leland Ketkai, Contributing Editor of Nutrition and Clinical Practice and a member of the Physician Engagement Committee of the American Society of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition or ASPEN. Joining me today is Dr. Kasun Malden, one of the authors of a multidisciplinary team of the review entitled, The Consequences of a Weight-Centric Approach to Healthcare, A Case for a Paradigm Shift in How Clinicians Address Body Weight. This article is published in the December 2022 issue of Nutrition in Clinical Practice. Before we start our discussion, I would like to ask Dr. Malden if she has any disclosures on this topic that she would like to share.
1: I have no disclosures.
0: So Dr. Malden, what motivated you and your co-authors to write a review article on this interesting topic?
1: Well, my co-authors and I, we all strive to be evidence-based practitioners and the evidence really points to a weight inclusive approach to healthcare. And this approach that's weight inclusive is really the best for supporting health and well being. However, a lot of healthcare today is still practicing from a very weight centric model, despite the evidence. And as an educator, I'm teaching future clinicians about evidence based practice. So, really, our hope is that our review article can serve as a guide for clinicians wanting to practice using a weight-inclusive approach to healthcare.
0: I like how you base your practice on evidence-based medicine, but why is it that current healthcare is weight-centric?
1: I think weight is a very easy target. Um, If you think about it, weight is something that can be very easily measured and tracked, and body shapes and sizes can be visually assessed, so then it becomes a very easy target. However, a lot of clinicians don't often witness the disordered eating or the weight cycling, that can result from a weight loss recommendation. And really what happens most of the time is the weight is regained. So clinicians think that they're doing the best for their patients by recommending weight loss. But really, they're probably making their patients feel maybe embarrassed or judged and less likely to return for follow-up visits. Plus, clinicians may not realize the harm that results when their patient starts their first diet and then spends decades dieting and maybe going on a disordered eating roller coaster. I would say that that's really the main reason why uh, weight-centric is still in practice, is that weight is an easy target. But really, if you want to shift away from a weight-centric paradigm, this is also difficult. And uh, one of the reasons for that is that the terms that we use in healthcare to refer to body size, there's assumptions underlying these terms. So just to give an example, the term healthy weight presumes that people are automatically healthy or unhealthy at certain weights. And terms such as normal weight or overweight implies that there is a correct weight everyone should be at. And this really ignores the natural human body diversity when it comes to body shapes and sizes. And then a weight-centric approach is also difficult to break through because it's driven by weight bias and flawed assumptions about weight and health. And this is found in the research literature and in clinical practice. But really, societal pressures, such as media portrayals of what's considered healthy and beautiful, really drives us as well. And these weight bias influences how people in larger bodies are viewed, not only by the general public, but also by healthcare practitioners. So maybe if I can give you an example here, if a person in a smaller body tells their doctor that they have, say, knee pain, their doctor would most likely order some tests to explore why is this person having knee problems? and maybe even prescribe physical therapy as a treatment. On the other hand, what often happens when a person in a larger body tells their doctor that they have knee pain? And what often happens is that the doctor would most likely recommend that the patient lose weight. And this is just one example of the weight biases in weight-centric healthcare. In our review article, we specifically explore the biases that exist in the published weight science literature, as this is the evidence that informs our clinical practice.
0: Very interesting points. Are there any additional key points you would like to share from your article?
1: Yeah, so we spend um, a great portion of our article addressing the flaw assumptions about weight and health. Just to give some examples here, for example, BMI was developed to describe populations, not individuals, but yet we use it on an individual basis in patient care. BMI does not give us any information about body weight composition, so what our bodies are made up of, or body weight distribution, where do we carry this weight. So BMI doesn't give us any information about composition or distribution. Many of the assumptions about weight and uh, morbidity and mortality are based on correlations or associations rather than causation. But yet a lot of publications present it as, you know, higher body weight causes X, Y, or Z. And we're not denying that weight is associated with morbidity, but there are lots of confounding factors that may explain the relationship between weight and health, but these confounding factors are often not accounted for, especially in epidemiological studies. And some of these confounding factors, they may not be accounted for because they're often really difficult to measure or capture accurately. So just as an example, dietary intake. That's a lot harder to capture in a study than it is to just measure body weight. And then the other main point in our article is that advising patients to lose weight is not an effective intervention. And the weight-centric approach really subscribes to this narrative that weight loss is achievable and needed for health. But when you look at the data, and this is data that's in published literature, the majority of the study populations do not achieve long-term weight loss. And in fact, the long-term body weight's defined as normal based on BMI. This is not something that most study populations achieve. So long-term weight loss is difficult to achieve for most individuals. And the reason for this is that because body shapes and sizes and weight are predominantly determined by genetics. So what makes long-term weight loss even more difficult to sustain is that physiological adaptations occur when people try to lose weight and diet, and even when they do lose weight, these physiological changes often lead to weight regain and more difficulty losing weight. So, as a result, people tend to uh, weight cycle. Promoting weight loss recommendations really worsens societal weight stigma. This can also lead to weight cycling, as already mentioned, and then increases the risk for disordered eating and eating disorders, all of which can really negatively impact health and well being. Just to drive home this point, the probability of a person who is genetically predisposed to be in a larger body attaining a normal weight per BMI standards is low. So we argue in the paper that remaining at one's predisposed body weight and not attempting weight loss would probably remain the healthiest and the safest compared to trying to lose weight and regaining and going through cycles of weight loss and weight regain. And then we end our article promoting that healthcare professionals should separate weight and health and a shift to a weight-inclusive approach to healthcare. And we provide actionable practice recommendations for weight-inclusive care in our publication.
0: What you share is really consistent with the title of your article of making a case for a paradigm shift in how clinicians address body weight. Now, some healthcare guidelines would recommend weight loss as an intervention. Now, how can clinicians maintain a weight-inclusive practice while also following these healthcare guidelines?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So first, I want to emphasize that weight loss is an outcome. It's not a behavior. So it really should not be subjected to behavior modification. So behavior modifications, such as, you know, maybe sleeping at least seven hours each night, or the recommendation that eating vegetables with every meal these will lead to improved health, but may or may not lead to the outcome of weight loss. So clinicians should really focus on the positive behavior modifications and not on weight. As I mentioned earlier, our publication provides actionable practice recommendations. And specifically in table two of our publication, we have these action items that can be taken to shift to a weight inclusive practice. And just to give you a couple examples. To reduce the focus on weight, practitioners should not comment on a patient's weight and then also train their staff not to comment on a patient's weight, even if it's in a complimentary manner. We can also work to eliminate weight-related microaggressions, such as suggesting a diet to a patient when they came in for something completely unrelated. These are just a couple of examples of actionable items that we can do in clinical practice. And when we shift away from a weight-centric approach we as clinicians should help patients who are interested in making changes find self-care strategies that honor health and well-being that are sustainable. It's important for clinicians to view health more holistically, especially to include the social determinants of health, such as whether or not people have safe access to neighborhoods, to engage in enjoyable forms of movement, access to a variety of foods, stress management, sleep, and of course, studies also show that social engagement really matters. So, instead of just giving this blanket recommendation of, you know, lose weight, invite your patients to consider all the pieces of their own healthcare puzzle and consider changes to areas that would support mental and physical health.
0: Thank you, Dr. Malden, for joining us today and introducing us to this very important topic.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me. We would also like to thank our audience for listening to this Aspen podcast. To support what we do, please share, subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud.